Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome to the Mouthy IP. This is Dan German, and we have our normal cast of characters. We have Sarah Stream, Kate Tyner, Dr. Richard Hankins, and you're very lucky that we have a special guest, Dr. Andrew Watkins. Now, Sarah, Andrew is not part of our typical cast. Can you explain why is he here? I sure can't. And Dan, I love how you call us all characters. I always like picture little cartoon characters dancing around with PPE on and stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, published our newsletter for the month of May. And in that, I wrote a little bit about antimicrobial stewardship in dentistry. And Dr. Andrew Watkins is our antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist from the Nebraska ASAP team. So he has agreed to come on and talk a little bit about uh, about that with us today. So thanks for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited to talk about antimicrobial stewardship, especially in some of these niche areas like dentistry, where people don't commonly think about stewardship in dentistry all the time. So it's always nice to hit on those areas. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so I guess I was talking to someone um, that got the newsletter and they were really wanting to know, like, what is stewardship in the dental realm? Yeah, and so I mean, really at its core, stewardship in general, antibiotic stewardship, is using the right antibiotics for the right patients, you know, at the right times, the right dose, right drug. And so really the focus is to improve patient outcomes first and foremost, but also to not use antibiotics when maybe we don't need antibiotics or to use antibiotics that are broader in spectrum than we may need or to use them for longer than we may need to. So you're trying to balance, given patients who need antibiotics, the correct one, while also not overusing it and promoting resistance, which is really kind of, you know, the big issue looking forward is, is antimicrobial resistance. And so we really need to try to save these agents as much as we can so we don't promote resistance. And Andrew, don't you think like this is Kate? Um, it seems like the more I learn about stewardship and like I'm lucky that I get to be part of conversations with you and Dr. Ashraf and Dr. Van Schoenefeld um, and Dr. Hankins, but sometimes like these questions about infection control and stewardship just start with like, we've always done it this way. Why do we need to do it any different? And that that's a huge question to unpack, right? And so the, there's lots of incremental improvement that could happen around antibiotic use even in dentistry. And I think that's where people like sometimes stiffen up right away and say, there's nothing I can do, but there is something that they can do. There's lots of little things that can start that question. The very first one can be, you know, we've always done it that way. Well, why? Like, is, is there somewhere to start? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you hit it right on the head of, you know, 10, 15 years ago, even people didn't really think about stewardship a whole lot. You know, it just wasn't a frontline consideration. And now in that short period of time, we've gone to where, you know, 
tons of facilities have stewardship programs. All hospitals are supposed to have stewardship programs and outpatient clinics are starting to look into it. And I think dentistry and again, some of these niche areas are that next step. And uh, you also were completely right in the fact that, you know, we do a lot of things because we've always done them that way. And, you know, we tend to shy away because it seems like an, uh, just an unsurmountable mountain. Uh, and, and, you know, really stewardship, I like to say, is like drinking from a fire hydrant. Sometimes there's so many things that you can do that it's important to just kind of focus on one or two small steps, small areas, you know, small improvements, uh, and then incrementally let that momentum carry you forward. And you realize really as you get into it and start doing some of these projects and start seeing the returns, you realize, oh, wait, this really isn't that bad. And, you know, on top of that, this is actually encouraging that we're making progress. And, you know, you really, you kind of get that forward momentum that your, your successes drive your future actions a lot too. So I think the easiest question to start with is, you know, when are dentists using antibiotics and just to unpack the universe of what they might be doing. And so Sarah, sometimes dentists are using antibiotics because people have an infection, right? They are. Yeah. It's, it's pretty common. Um, especially if people have an infection that is severe enough that we're not able to do any treatment that day. We, would put them on an antibiotic regimen to maybe reduce the swelling or, you know, get them to a more, more stable situation. So we can then do an extraction or whatever their treatment might be. I think like, especially for people who are not prescribing, like some of our listeners are assistants and hygienists. Maybe one of the first questions is when are we using antibiotics and kind of breaking it down into those steps. And so from where you started, like the first one, the treatment, somebody has an active infection, right? Um, Andrew, from there, what might they, like, they could look at what course they're using, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there are a couple of different things you could do there. First is, is this truly an infection? Is this an infection that requires antibiotics? Or could we go with surgical management, you know, pronto and save antibiotics? And the ADA has tons of good resources on treatment guidelines for periapical pain and, and different um, infections or suspected infections uh, of the mouth. Uh, and so then your other questions are, you know, what agent do we use and how long do we use it? You know, where you, you really see a lot of times durations extend out much longer than are needed. Um, and sometimes even agents that are given much more broadly, you know, so again, they're, they're impacting a, a larger host of bacteria rather than a more targeted therapy to the, the bacteria you would expect to see uh, in the mouth. Uh, and then, you know, another whole aspect of it too is, is penicillin allergies. And, you know, there are times where there may be allergies uh, reported that may not actually be true allergies. And because of that, we're going to agents that have increased harm. So maybe you say uh, a remote reported allergy that we don't suspect is a true allergy, but because that was reported, you know, we're going to give clindamycin instead, which we know has increased risk of causing uh, Clostridium difficile infection and some other downstream, you know, poor outcomes for patients, where really if we just took uh, an appropriate and a, a good allergy history, we could probably give patients maybe a cephalosporin that wouldn't cross-react, or maybe you realize, oh, they just had a, you know, their stomach hurt after they took that amoxicillin, and they're not really allergic, it was just a GI disturbance. And so, you know, taking those things into account in every individual patient interaction can really help with uh, the drug choice uh, and then, you know, making sure that we're trying to preserve these antibiotics. So I think there's a lot to what you just said. Yeah, one question I was really hoping to ask is I feel like um, touching on the, the penicillin allergy or the, the allergies, um, I feel like penicillin allergy and amoxicillin allergy is a really common allergy that we see. And 
in uh, how people often describe their allergies. They say, you know, I had this years ago, maybe when I was little, um, and I think I had a rash. And so if a patient came into a, a clinic and said, oh, like, I think I had a rash to amoxicillin years ago, um, what would you recommend if that physician was looking to use amoxicillin or augmented? Yeah, I mean, typically one of the things I would recommend would be to try cephalosporin. You know, in one of those cases where we really don't think it's a true allergy, we know that there are oral cephalosporin agents that are also beta-lactam. So they're in the same class, but they're different enough. The side chains that actually cause true allergic reactions are different. You could really get away with using a cephalosporin, which would be preferable to using a clindamycin or something along those lines. And so that would probably be the safest in a dentistry setting. I mean, you know, if you're able to actually in say an allergy clinic and you can work up that allergy and, you know, potentially do some type of penicillin challenge, you know, that's great. But in a dentistry setting, I think it just makes more sense to just go ahead and try something like a cephalosporin that we wouldn't expect to, to cross-react. So you say cephalosporin, and I'm going to call it out. I don't know what drugs are in that category. So like, can you break it down to some examples of yeah. generic drugs? In yeah. So cephalexin or keflex, uh, cefuroxime, cefdenir, those would be some of the oral agents that you would uh, typically see in the cephalosporin class. And so just to, to kind of be clear that those agents would be preferable to go into a clindamycin that has more known side effects. And sure. in the ADA paper that you're talking about, they would give um, ideas about those drugs. Would, is there a place to look at, um, especially if a doctor is not used to those drugs, where they would find appropriate duration and dose? Yeah, I want to say the guidelines actually have a table that have dosing for sure. I'd have to look back to see if they have duration listed. Um, but I do know that that typically those ADA guidelines uh, have a good bit of drug, drug information to guide that. So we're chatting among ourselves here in the text on this conversation that um, as part of the show notes for this, we're going to put those references into this because I think that Again, as I've kind of learned on the sidelines watching the really talented clinicians I work with, um, is that these papers get updated pretty frequently. And that some, like when we're talking about the baby steps towards improvement, it might just be what's the most recent paper on this? And just looking at the drugs that we're using to say, are they the best according to the most re recent reference? You know, the best drugs, um, the right duration, and the right dose. Andrew. If I may, I have a couple of, of questions and if you could answer them in sequence and I won't take points away if you don't. So <laughs> the, the, the first question is, you know, we have a, an audience of uh, a variety of dental professionals and um, every, every, you know, role within a clinic, um, but within each clinic, you know, there's the, the actual dentists and then there are non-dentists. So for this topic, can you give um, uh, just a couple of quick points of why should we care? Why should everyone in that clinic care? And then the second part of that is what is the role of the non-dentists in that clinic and how to how do they affect this? Love it. Those are two of the key questions. Uh, and so I'll start with why it matters. And you know, I touched on it earlier, really to again, prevent 
antibiotic resistant. So, you know, we, we've got species of bacteria that have historically been, you know, 100% susceptible to certain classes of antibiotics that over time, you know, that, that susceptibility is eroding and we're getting more and more resistant bacteria, which we know is going to eventually lead to worse patient outcomes. The other reason is outside of just downstream resistance is that, you know, antibiotics are looked at a lot of times as, you know, kind of benign. They don't really, I mean, they, a couple side effects here and there, but I mean, there really are adverse effects such as C. diff, uh, you know, and, and that really cause significant mortality and, or not, yeah, mortality and morbidity in patients. Um, and so it's important that we try to spare that. And, you know, a lot of times, especially in the dental setting, it's looked at as, oh, it's just a one-time dose of amoxicillin. It's not that big of a deal. But, you know, if you look at that across the board and you're given multiple doses and a lot of doses to different patients, I mean, that really adds up. I think I saw that 10% of antibiotic prescriptions in the United States uh, are prescribed by dentists, actually. And so it, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that big of an area of use, but it really, you know, makes up a lot more of antibiotic use than we would expect. As far as, you know, things that non-dentists not, uh, could do, I, th I think I would point people, and we can put in the show notes as well, a link to the CDC has a list of core elements of stewardship. And so this is, you know, the minimum requirements of a stewardship program, and it can really work as a good framework for outpatient facilities in specific. And this also, they mention apply to dentistry. Um, and those, you know, consist of commitment, which just, you know, is showing that, the clinic is committed to implementing stewardship and improving antibiotic use. Um, you know, that they have some type of actions or policies in place that they're tracking and reporting antibiotic use and then that they're providing education both to the clinicians and the patients. And so these are really great aspects or facets of stewardship that I think a well-rounded dentistry practice could put into place where you have, you know, one of your hygienists, maybe part of her job is to track antibiotic prescriptions, you know, nothing doesn't have to be anything fancy or any specific software, maybe, you know, either a receptionist or somebody in the front or a hygienist keeps an Excel sheet log of all antibiotic prescriptions, what were the indications, and then you can go back and look at that from month to month and see, you know, what that prescription volume looks like. Uh, you know, maybe it's something that you can put stewardship or antibiotic specific resources on the front desk or, you know, on the walls to show, you know, here's patient information. It's not just education from clinicians, but it's also for the patient. So they have appropriate expectations of should they even be receiving an antibiotic. And so those are just some of the things that come to mind, you know, really quickly as far as what the, the practice in, as a whole can do for stewardship. I totally agree, Andrew. You know, as a non-prescriber -pre on our team, I think that like I find myself in this place sometimes is that there's there's some misconceptions about when antibiotics aren't used, especially from the public, right? And so I think in the practice, it will be important that everybody from the top down understands why we do what we do about antibiotics so that nobody has any kind of underhanded comments like, oh, he just doesn't like to prescribe or, you know, something like that. Like, everybody has to talk the talk, that these are factual things that, you know, these antibiotics can cause people harm. And it's important that we all do what we can to make sure that your antibiotic care really contributes to the safest care possible for you. And so I think that um, it is important that the prescribers and everybody in the practice understands that. And so in the show notes, we'll post, um, CDC has a nice campaign about antibiotics use and they have some specific dental um, resources, it may be as simple as just having some pamphlets in your um, front office of um, 
you know, that they, they can be pulled down and printed right from the CDC website that when people ask questions, we're all kind of speaking from the same script. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they have a lot of good resources on like policy templates or statements of support. You know, that's part of the, the commitment core element I mentioned of just having something in place that just says, hey, we're aware of stewardship. We're aware of needing to improve antibiotic use and we're committed to that. Just having that alone is a good first step just to keep it on people's mind. Because if you, otherwise, if you're not thinking about it, you know, it's hard to, to act on anything. Yeah, and I think this the particular reference that we'll put into the notes, they have some really good like picture diagrams that, you know, even like in a small practice, particularly, you know, your assistants might be people who have very recently graduated from high school, you know, your front desk staff, maybe non-clinical, but having everybody be able to like, what are the possible side effects? It could be a rash, it could be you get dizzy, it could be you get a yeast infection, it could be that you get nauseous and have diarrhea. Antibiotics aren't drugs without side effects, you know, like having everybody be able to speak to that and point to that, um, make sure that the right message is getting to the patient, I think. Um, I've also seen doctors that will put patients on antibiotics just post-op as standard. Like every time they extract a tooth, you get an antibiotic. And so we talked a lot about like the treatment aspect, right? And making sure we're doing the right thing for treatment. Another uh, type of, um, use that Sarah mentioned was uh, after visit um, antibiotic treatment. So what will we call that kind of treatment? Is it treatment or? Yeah, it shouldn't be done probably anyway. So, but if it is- it <laughs> That's why it doesn't have a name. <laughs> yeah, it would probably fall under the treatment umbrella. You know, I, I kind of loop it in, in my head into treatment and then prophylaxis. So before procedures, and that's that's the area that's really undergone a big change in the last 10, 15 years of where it used to be prophylactic antibiotics used to be given much more uh, widely. Now there, you know, there's really not a ton of hard indications when, you know, prophylactic antibiotics are really needed. And we like, like Sarah mentioned, we did a whole podcast on that. Um, but, you know, there's really not a ton uh, per the ADA's recommendations and really per studies that, that prophylactic antibiotics are going to help you in. So just to be clear, Oh, sorry, Kate. Well, just one of the things Andrew had said earlier in the podcast was um, that in some indications, you know, um, surgery is the best option without antibiotic use. And so I think that's an important thing to touch on is there are some instances where we just have to remove the infection, right? And so can we unpack that one a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, a core principle of ID is source control, you know, you know, Nine times out of 10, if you're able to get source control, you know, and you're actually getting rid of the true source of infection, you know, antibiotics probably aren't going to be needed after that. Your body can pretty much clean up that after the fact. And so if patients are able to get it and have, you know, surgery promptly to get control of those situations, you know, whether it's an abscess or, you know, whatever the, the condition may be, uh, then typically that's going to be sufficient for those. I always think of it like a closed space infection. So if you have a closed space infection, antibiotics aren't going to effectively stop that infection. And so this is where surgery, uh, incision and drainage becomes uh, extremely important. And a lot of times in, in a dental clinic, it's, you know, somebody comes in for an emergency appointment and we have them for 15 minutes on the schedule. We don't have time to do a surgery. Sarah, so do you say that under this idea that uh, 
you would love to like do an incision drainage, but you say, oh, we're going to give you an antibiotic and have you come back in the future. Is that the idea? Yeah. And a lot of times with a dental abscess, it's small enough and it's in the alveolar bones. So there's not really a, a way to do an effective drainage. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I've seen people that are swollen like a grapefruit and we've drained those abscesses. But sometimes they're just like a little tiny rice size abscess on the root tip. And there's not really a good way. It's not a fistula yet. Um, there's not a good way to be able to drain that. So talk to me more about like the big, the abscess type thing. Like in that instance, like clearly that's a really painful condition because you have a lot of skin and soft tissue, swelling, inflammation, right. et cetera. In that instance, that's a somewhat brief, like we can cut this in yep. drain. In that instance, we would definitely drain that. Um, it's not, it couldn't go into like a surgical extraction or anything that would take up a whole lot of time. Um, I've, I was in on a case once where this guy, his whole face was swelled and it was getting up close to his eyes. And um, we did a, we sutured in a drain actually. And he left with a drain in his cheek and sent him right to the medical clinic to get IV antibiotics. But for pain relief, that the idea there that like you're relieving some pressure, mm -hmm. I think really speaks to what Andrew was talking about too. Like it's a closed space, let's reduce the pressure. Let's get yep. some of that out. Even if that's like a, a pre-procedure, right? And then yep. we can do more to address the infection in a later visit. Yeah. It's interesting, okay. Yeah, I've also worked with doctors that have prescribed antibiotics after every extraction, just as like a, a just in case you need it type thing. To Andrew's point, that's what's really gone out of fashion is that, yeah. that we, we know now that those preventative type courses don't really do a lot of good and they actually do more harm. And I think that's one that if we, if we have a listener who is concerned that they're doing more of that, those prevention type courses or prophylactic courses, that would be a, an excellent instance, you know, like if we're not sure, you want to have a call with ASAP, you want to get on the phone with Dr. Hankins and um, Andrew and see, um, could we reduce, you know, any step forward in this instance, I think is positive, you know, could we reduce even some of those prophylactic courses or prevention courses um, would be a good outcome that we would be really happy to work with a practice who's considering that. Yeah, and ADA has some really good uh, prophylaxis guidance as well, um, and some other organizations do as well, you know, for different, uh, either for, you know, concern of endocarditis or for concern of prosthetic joint. There's a bunch of different society guidelines that are really helpful to kind of lay out when it's needed, when it may not be. And honestly, you know, a stewardship action could be just as a clinic having an education session where we go over these guidelines, you know, maybe once a month, once a quarter, we sit down and have a lunch and learn where you have somebody present these or present an article that you recently saw. And so that, that in and of itself is contributing to a stewardship program um, at a dentist facility. And I, I hope that the listeners know, you know, this is, we understand that this, this is case by case and, you know, we don't understand every case that they see, but that this team could be a resource to them. You know, like I understand this aspect, but maybe not this aspect. Could I have a phone call to run through some of my questions? And the answer to that will be a resounding yes. Absolutely. 
that's what we're here for is to help, especially when it comes to like program building and, you know, that taking those small steps, what are my next steps? You know, that, that's really what I think a key role of ASAP could be is to help with that. So for best practices, you know, I'm, uh, I work with numbers every single day and I'm, I'm a firm believer in the law of averages, right? And uh, most of the time that works, you know, there's always outliers, there's always exceptions to the rule and, and the like. However, not every individual is exceptionally different than everyone else. You know, I mean, there's, there's a bell curve for a reason. So how would a practice or what's the best way for an individual dentist to understand is, am I average? Am, do I prescribe more than most, less than most? Where, where do I fall? And what, what's the best way to start understanding that? Yeah, uh, that's a loaded question because it's really hard. I mean, it's hard even in, you know, hospital systems and within like outpatient clinics that aren't specialty dentistic clinics to know where individual provider stands as far as antibiotic use because there's just there's not a lot of good tracked data and so I would say within a group setting the best thing would be just to track those antibiotics you know keep them in an excel file so you can see you know how many prescriptions were given for which indications uh, you know over the course of a month or a quarter or a year um, and compare that to peers not in any way that's punitive or not in any way that you know we're trying to really have a hard comparison of you know this provider is better but you know, having that data is the important first step of actually being able to say, you know, X number of prescriptions uh, for prophylaxis, you know, normalized by how many patients the dentist saw, because that's the other big thing is, you know, how many patients you see is going to skew those numbers as well. And so really just tracking that and getting that data yourself locally is the, the best first step. As far as compared to other dentistry clinics, that's where it gets a little hairier, you know, and it's really hard with not everybody collecting data, it's hard to, to really make those comparisons, but you know, maybe you've, you're part of a, a chain type group where you have other clinic sites, or you know, maybe you, you discuss with other clinics and try to find a way to compare some data back. That really is a great question, Dan. Um, and I'd say the, what I'd wanna to touch on that, that Andrew was alluding to was uh, when you're trying to make that comparison, um, it's really hard to make that comparison unless you have other providers that you're making the comparison to. Um, to take that a step further, I think not only do you need to really look at other providers, but you need to look at the diagnoses. And so when we think about assessing um, medical providers in an outpatient setting, we're looking at antibiotic stewardship for providers for uh, antibiotics ordered for upper respiratory infections that are likely viral. And so that's where we're able to make that comparison. And so um, I think you have to be looking at how do you compare to other dentistry providers, but then for other dentistry providers for certain diagnoses. You can't manage what you can't measure. Yeah, and true. good news, a lot of offices have um, electronic records now. So it could be as easy as pulling a report in your system. Yeah, that, and that, that's, that's a huge help for that so you don't have to do everything manually if these offices do have uh, EHR. The other thing too, I mean, if you are just a single practitioner, you know, and you don't have any comparators, even just trending yourself over time. I mean, that, that's not a wasted effort either, just to see how your volumes look month to month and seeing if there be any changes or anything like that. that that's valuable information to have as well. 
And always keep in mind too that zero is not an appropriate goal. I mean, we say reduce unnecessary antibiotic use, but some antibiotics are always going to be necessary and we should never look to try to get to zero, but, you know, just be sure that we're doing it when it's uh, necessary. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for being on today. Does anybody have any other questions? I know this answered a lot of my questions, so I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you having me. This is always fun to join. So, Andrew, if somebody listening to this podcast wanted more information or wanted to understand the, the services that you and the team provides, how do they find you? Yeah, so I would say you can either email me directly, uh, and that would be and we'll put it in the show notes, but anwatkins at nebraskamed.com, or you can visit our website at asap.nebraskamed.com. And we have uh, contact information there and tons of resources. Um, we don't have a ton of dentistry-specific resources on the ASAP website yet, but that's something that I would like to start incorporating and expand into. But yeah, we're always happy to help you reach out. Awesome. And while we have you here, I just want to put in a plug for the Antimicrobial Stewardship Summit that's coming up. Yeah, yeah, we will be having the summit. It's a, an all-day conference. It'll be Friday, August the 12th in downtown Omaha. Uh, we have, you know, a host of topics that are targeted, you know, at everybody from providers, pharmacists, infection preventionists, dentists. I mean, really a, a host of topics covering how to implement a stewardship program. Uh, we've got to talk specifically on management of penicillin allergies. And so that, you know, that, that would be very topical. Um, using the EHR to leverage stewardship. So a lot of topics that I think bleed over and, and mesh really well with the dentistry world. So we would love to welcome any and all dentists, hygienists, you know, any dental staff to come and, and learn with us. All right. And for our listeners out there, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP Infection Control Hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office. 